Welcome to the Alcorn Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Here's what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. That's all he said. Verse 5 is like the crux of our text. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, if you've been here, you want to go back and watch. These are not just some ordinary people. These Ninevites, I gave you the history. They are a brutal and savage people. So for them to hear one warning, one message of repentance for them to turn is a miracle in itself. But it says that the, the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least, literally everybody. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. Here's what he said. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal Herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. For all of my Bible readers, I'm about to give you something. I always put some nuggets in there for the Bible readers and Bible studiers. Here's, here's, your, here's your chance. Here's what the king said. Each must turn, you want to underline there, from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Verse 9, who knows? God, who knows, God may turn, you want to underline there, and relent. He may turn, you want to underline there, from his burning anger so that we will not perish. And here's what happened in verse 10. God saw their actions, that they had turned, you want to underline there, from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened with them, and he did not do it. Let us pray. God, we thank you today um, just that we get a chance to come and study. God, I'm, I'm, I'm just privileged and honored to be able to come before your people this morning. Um, Lord, to see all these beautiful faces and a church full of people that just want to know more about you, God, and grow in their relationship with you. And so I, I pray for two sets of people today. I pray for um, the unbeliever who may be here today, someone who's not following Jesus, who's not a Christian. God, I just pray that you would just do such a work in their heart, that you would compel them to surrender today. Um, Lord, I, I pray that they get the crux and the gist of this message, God, that is, that is not too late, that, that it's actually never too late for God. And so, Father, I pray that you, you would draw all men to yourself this morning. Um, and Lord, I pray for the, the, the second person I pray for is the committed believer. 
or for the believer who struggles in their commitment. Um, but they are a believer. Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen them on this morning. I pray that you would grow them to maturity this morning. I pray that you would grow us in just godly gratitude for all that you've done, that, that we don't deserve any of this life that you've given us. But God, you keep showering us every day with grace and mercy. It's staring us in the face every morning when we wake up. And so, Lord, let us just rejoice in that and worship because of that and grow in our relationship with you because of that. And so, Father, we just pray that your work would do something special and supernatural in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. People of God said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. From the sermon series, The Mysterious Mercy of God and Why It Matters, our sermon series is titled The Mysterious Mercy of God and Why It Matters. My sermon title this morning is The God of Second Chances. If you read your Bible, there's something that you will learn about God quickly and that God gives second chances. If you are a Christian, you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, here's what you know. God's specialty is giving us second chances. God continues to give us chance after chance, no matter what we've done or how much we've messed up. The Bible says that his mercies are new every single day morning. I thank God that God doesn't give up on me as soon as I make a mistake. I'm glad that God is a God of second chances. If you read your Bible from the moment you open the pages, God is doing stuff, creating stuff, darkness out of, out of nothing. He goes from, from, from darkness to light, from, 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 from something out of, out of nothing. God is creating, and then God creates, creates man. And it doesn't take man a long time to do what? To mess up. But as soon as man messes up, We see God in hot pursuit of the man that he created that messed up, that disobeyed him. And God gives man a second chance. He actually even covers man's sins and makes a promise for him that at some point this seed would come and undo everything that the man had done. And so we we leave the first man who's called Adam, and then we later on turn to Genesis a few chapters later, we get to a gentleman by the name of Noah. The people in Noah's time are so wicked, God is like, I'm wiping everything out except for this one dude in his family, this one man named Noah. Now, Noah is in the midst of this wicked generation, but what does Noah get? Noah gets a second chance. Tells Noah, build an ark, put your family on there, get all the animals on there, and and I'm going to bring a flood. But then the flood comes and God starts over. He he gives creation a second chance chance but it's not long after Noah then we get to a man by the name of Abraham who God makes a promise he says Abraham through your family all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you you're going to have a seed and and you're going to be blessed well Abraham has a problem that we all have a problem with patience Abraham knows what God has said but Abraham is like dude you are taking far too long I'm getting old I'm past my prime I gotta make a move on my own because apparently God you got amnesia and you forgot And so what does Abraham do? Abram and his wife come up with the wonderful idea to not wait for God and have a child on their own. They get a child with a maidservant. And so they step out of God's will and have a child that they were not supposed to have. But what does God do? God gives them a second chance and that seed actually is born. God specializes in second chances. We, we later on get to a man by the name of Moses. Moses is called to lead his people out of Egypt. Moses is reluctant to the call of God at first. He doesn't want to do what God called him to do. However, 
He obeys eventually, and so Moses' mouthpiece and intercessor for the people, uh, between the people and God, and at one point while Moses is up talking to God, the people that Moses is supposed to be leading are down at the base of the mountain, and because they can't wait, they run out of patience, what do the people do? They do the very thing that God told them not to do. They create a golden calf. God should have wiped everybody out and just canceled it at that point. Everybody should have been canceled. But what does God do? God gives them a second chance. I'm in seminary. I'm in school. I'm in school. I'm, I'm trying to finish this master's degree, and every day I have second thoughts about doing this. I'm just regretting it. I just, everybody that's already finished and have a master's, I kind of don't like you right now because I'm in the throes of this thing. And, and, and I was taking a quiz the other day, and I got a a lot of stuff going on, and I don't mean that in the culture I got a lot going on because a lot of times people say they got a lot going on, and they're playing video games 12 hours out of the day. You don't have anything going on. You're not even busy. You're wasting time. You don't have nothing going on. Um, but I have, I have a lot of stuff going on, and so I don't, sometimes I, I just I try to study the best I can, taking all these classes, and I'm studying. And, and so the other day I took this took, took a quiz that I have to take every single week. Got to write a paper for it, write a paper for this class, take a quiz. And so I'm taking this quiz, and it's got like five questions on the quiz. And so you know you really can't get too wrong because you get too wrong, you out of there, right? And so I take this quiz, and what do I do? I get like three of them wrong. And I'm like, it's over for me. I got to drop out of school. Like, it's, I'm going to lose my scholarship. This is over, right? But, but, but something happened. Up on my screen popped up. You get a second attempt. You would have thought I caught the Holy Ghost right there at my desk because I had a second chance. But that is a reminder in a picture of the Christian life that every time we mess up, God says, you got a second chance. And, and so I'm, I'm here today to remind you and tell you that if you've made some mistakes, if you've messed up a time or two in your life, if you have some deep regrets, uh, don't fret. We serve a God who gives us second chances. He is the God of the second chance. And so if you feel like you've messed up and you've gone too far, I'm here today to encourage you and let you know that we serve a God who gives second chances. And what does Jonah get after his disobedience? He has a second chance. The Bible tells us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And so today we're going to look at the second chance and why this is a struggle for Jonah, but it's a blessing to the people that Jonah has been sent to. And there are three things that we're going to look at today in this text. Number one, we're going to look at the call of God. Number two, we're going to look at the work of God. And number three, we're going to look at the mercy of God. Number one, the call of God. Number two, the work of God. And number three, the mercy of God. And so, verses one through three, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, he get, get up go, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. And Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, if you were not here, Jonah does not want to go where God has sent him because God has sent him to Assyria to, to talk to the Ninevites. The Ninevites are not a friend of Israel. They are Israel's enemies. They are their arch nemesis. They are a world power. They, they are not people who are friendly to the Israelite people. And Jonah, a prophet of God, has been serving for a while, but God gives him command to take the message to somebody that Jonah does not want to take it to, the last group of people that he would want to take it to, the people who don't deserve a message of mercy and repentance and reconciliation. And so this is who God calls him to. And Jonah just does not understand this because Jonah forgot that he himself 
although the Ninevites are their enemy, he himself has already been a benefactor of the mercy of God. And so here's what Jonah does not understand. We oftentimes get into the same thing, that, that when God tells us, go, go, go make it right with this person. Go, go, go tell this person about your new life. Go, go, go give this person a second chance. Now, I want to say this real quick. Um, everybody deserves forgiveness, but not everybody deserves to be back in your life. So let's use wisdom with these second chances. Right now, somebody's been abusing you, hurting you, harming you, stealing from you, leading your life down the road of destruction. You can forgive them, but that don't mean you got to deal with them. Oh, are we clear on that? Okay, okay, so, so, so here's what Jonah forgot. And here's what we forget. We oftentimes don't want to go and interact with people who we feel that are our enemies or who have hurt us or things of that nature. But can you realize that no matter what somebody has done for you, no matter how much of an enemy somebody is to you, they could never be more of an enemy to you than we were to God when we were in our sins. We've offended God far more than any person could ever offend us in this life. And so God still, while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, sent his son to die for us. Yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He gave us a second chance. He gave us mercy. And here's what he's telling Jonah. Give them the same thing that I've given to you. And this is what God has called us to do to the world because God is a God of second chances. You know what second chances feel like? Second chances feel like a new birth. Feels like you've been born again. You ever get a second chance at something and it feels like the weight of the world has been lifted off your shoulders? You, you ever get a second chance? You ever show up to work so late? that you know you should be fired. And they just pretend that they didn't even see it. At least that's what you think. But they don't even say anything to you and don't fire at the moment. That's mercy. That's a second chance. Nothing feels better than a second chance. It is similar to our life in Christ because we have been born again. We, we get a second chance at life. But here's what happens when we get a second chance. When God gives you a second chance, God is so good that he gives you a greater purpose and greater responsibility than you had before. God actually makes life better in the second chance. God doesn't save us and forgive us and then leave us to our own devices to go down the road of destruction again. But God gives a new purpose and a new responsibility. God actually says, now that you got done messing up, come work for me. Come work, come work in, 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 in my business that, that is far more fulfilling and satisfying than what you've been doing with your life already. He says, come work for me. And here's your new job description. It's real deep. Go tell everybody what I did for you. That's your new job description. Go tell everybody what I already did for you. That, that's your only job. Every day you wake up and come into the office, go tell everybody what I already did for you. The Bible calls it the Great Commission. The Bible calls it great. Go, go therefore, and, and, and tell the nations about what I've been doing for you. Tell, tell them, teach them everything, and, and tell them to do all of my commands. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, so God gives us a new responsibility in the new life, and, and he tells us to get up 
and go. I love Paul words it in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 20. He, he explained, this is the Christian job description. If you want to know what, what, what the Christian job description looks like, here it is right here. For the love of Christ compels us. Since we have this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That's so important. Who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we don't know anyone from a worldly perspective, Jonah. You see, you don't see everybody as your enemy anymore. You see them as people in need of mercy. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is new, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. And here's what we say. We plead on Christ's behalf, and here's what we tell the world. Be reconciled to God. I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the Message Bible. Here's how Dr. Eugene Peterson words the same text. Here's what he says. He says, God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Here's what we tell the world. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. That's beautiful. And so we all have this responsibility to share the good news with our neighbors. Here's what Spurgeon said about this. He says, if there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at a white heat, it's concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it's the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. It is urgent. We have to do it. It is an imperative. God is not making a suggestion for us. God is telling us this is a command to take the gospel to the world. Share it with your neighbors. One time Spurgeon said it like this. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Which one are you today? Do you just walk by your neighbors and see them and don't even care? Do you even know your neighbor's names? Or do you see them as God sees them? That maybe these are people that God has put in your path for you to tell them the only thing that can save their lives. You don't have to know them to love them. Leonard Ravenhill said this. He says, could a mariner sit idle if he heard the drowning cry? Could a doctor sit in comfort and just let his patients die? Could a fireman sit idle, let men burn and give no hand? Can you sit at ease in the church with the world around you doomed? God has not just called us to sit here, get a word from God. I'm just trying to get myself spiritually fed so I can grow in my faith. And then what? God is feeding you so you can go exercise in the world. And so this is not a call for us to yeah, I'm just... I just love getting fed. I just take my little notes in my Bible. I pray, and I just stay to myself. God didn't call us to stay to ourselves because God didn't stay to himself. 
So next we're going to look at the work of God. Now, now, now Jonah, Jonah does what we all should do. Jonah obeys, and Jonah goes to Nineveh. And here's what it says, verses 3 um, through 5. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city. A three-day walk, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. Now, it says that Nineveh was a great city. The original translation in the Hebrew literally says, Nineveh was God's city. You see, Jonah didn't want to go there, but Jonah didn't realize you may not care about Nineveh, but I do. Because there's not one square inch of this universe that is not mine. So God cares about every city. God cares about every neighborhood. From Pine Hills to Islesworth, God cares about it. From the richest neighborhood to the poorest neighborhood, God cares about it. God cares about your neighborhood. You might not care about your neighbors, but God does. God does. And we, we, we tend to think that, that, that when, when, when we assess a place, a city, or a neighborhood, that, that, that we get to determine the worth of a place by what we observe from the outside. And, and so we, 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 we assign titles. Okay, oh, that's a ghetto. That's a suburb. That's a nice neighborhood. God says if it's sin in it, it's a ghetto no matter where it is. God says even Owlsworth with houses at $89, $20 million is a ghetto if there's sinners living there. It doesn't matter what, what the neighborhood looks on the outside. God is looking at the sin on the inside. So it's all a ghetto to me. And God says it's time for Christians to go out there and do some spiritual gentrification. And, and so we, we like to, we talk, oh, gentrification. They tear down neighborhoods. Well, God says, okay, you don't do moving people out of their neighborhoods, but you move the gospel into the neighborhoods. Okay, you ain't got to get anybody out of their house, but you make sure they get the gospel inside of their house. And so God has called us to do some spiritual gentrification. Because if he ain't there, it's still a ghetto. Yeah, he's not just the God of the suburbs. He's also the God of the neighborhoods and the low socioeconomic run. That, all of that belongs to God. And if he cares about it, we care about it. And so here's what Jonah does. Jonah says, Jonah goes and says, it was a three-day walk in Nineveh. Nineveh is a great city. It's a big city. It's a three-day walk. And tells us that Jonah got there the first day. And, and Jonah, it's, it's almost like the Bible paints the picture. When it says three-day walk, it's, it's kind of saying it takes three days to go in Nineveh. It's a big city. But it says the first day Jonah, on the first day of the walk, he screams, he screams, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. I think Jonah was happy to say this. He didn't like them. I, I kind of think, I, don't, I think Jonah said, the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. We don't need, I think he was happy to say that. And so he didn't deliver some awesome message. It was actually a warning of judgment. He didn't even put no good news in it. He was hoping that it was true and that they wouldn't listen at all. That's how much he hated them. And, but he did what God told him to do, and something unusual happened. He didn't even give a full good presentation of the gospel. He just said what God wanted him to say, and it says that the people believed God. That lets me know something. Number one, God don't need you to be perfect in an apologist to say what he wants you to say. God doesn't need you to go to seminary to witness to your neighbors. You don't need to be a Bible scholar. God just needs you to say what thus said the Lord from his word, and God is the one who changes hearts. We don't do anything. Oh, I'm not skilled. 
I'm not skilled as, a, as an evangelist. Effective evangelism is not about the skill of the speaker, but it's about the power of the God that saves. The Ninevites are brutal. They're wicked. They, they literally demolish people and decapitate people and watch, walk, walk around with people's heads on stick and make their family members take it. They flay people's skin. They rip people to shreds and brag and boast about it. And they heard the word of the Lord and repented immediately. Can you imagine if people repented and turned the first time they heard the gospel? Can you imagine? Paul says, said it like this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power ain't in you. The power is in, is in God. God is the one who changes the hearts of the people. And so Jonah probably like, oh, God, they actually repented. What Jonah didn't realize is that God had already been working in the hearts of the Ninevites The Ninevites were going through trouble. Historically, if you research what was happening in Assyria at that time, they were going through a famine had happened in Assyria. They they had lost some some of their their, their valuables. They were having some leadership issues. And so, so actually, they were on a decline at this time. And so God was already tilling the hearts of the Ninevites. Things were being torn apart. Things were not working out. He was pulling from under them the things that they had been trusting in for their whole lives. And God was setting the stage for somebody to come in and share this message of good news with them. What Jonah didn't realize was God was already doing the work in their hearts. That's why we can't be afraid to share with people because we don't know what they're ready for. You don't know what's been happening to your coworker. You don't know what they're going through in their relationship. You don't know what's happening with that family member. People have so much stuff going on in their hearts that they don't even tell you about. You are sitting next to somebody, somebody in the sanctuary right now with as many people as are, that are as in here. Somebody right now is on the brink of suicide and they just need a hug, but they look beautiful. Somebody this week wanted to just throw it all away. Somebody is this close to throwing in the towel and you don't even know it. You you don't even know what's happening to the person at the register at the grocery store. That young person that's working there might be dealing with opioids and suicide and all kinds of depression. And you don't even know it, but you don't even want to speak to them. Let me go to the self-checkout line. How about we make going to the register great again? But you just don't even know what God has been preparing on people's heart. And all they need to know is that there is another way. Oh, they look like they got it all together. Oh, they look like they figured it all out. Oh, they don't look like they need God. They look like they are content. You don't know. They might be about to go through a divorce. You don't know if they don't. They may not even know where their children are. But you don't know that. But if you obey God, God is the one who does the work. He's just letting you participate. God is the Golden State Warriors, and he's Steph Curry, and he doesn't miss. But every now and again, he'll pass the ball to Draymond. (laughs) You're Draymond. You can't shoot at all. But you get the ball sometimes. He lets you do some of the dirty work. He'll let you get around and let you get excited as if you did something. He 
these people believed immediately. They believed God. Literally, that literally references back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, when it says uh, God had made this promise to Abram that, that if he looked up and counted the stars and see that they were numerous, that he would have, that's how his offspring would be. And Genesis 15, 6 says he believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. This is what we call justification by faith. It is a legal term, which means that God has pronounced us just, that we are right before God. That, that we have been made righteous, that we have been made righteous by God. We're not just now innocent because of Jesus, but we've been declared righteous. Jesus took on our sin. He, he took on what we did on our sin, on our wickedness, but we got his righteousness. And so when God sees us, he doesn't see wickedness. He doesn't see evil. He doesn't see sinner. He sees somebody that is righteous, whether you feel like it or not. Justification, just as if I had never sinned. That's how God sees us. He that knew no sin, Jesus, he that knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become righteous. That's what the scripture tells us. And so this is what he's talking about. That is the gospel. They became righteous. And all of a sudden it says that these people proclaimed the fast. A revival literally broke out in Nineveh. A revival broke out. They proclaimed the fast. It even got up to the king. Now, here's what you need to know. Justification has nothing to do with what's internal. It has everything to do with what's external. You're positionally right with God if you are in Christ. But that means nothing if your heart hadn't turned away from your sin. And what we see is not just justification, something external. We see an internal thing that has happened. They actually declared a fast in the entire nation. And so we see the mercy of God happening in verses 6 through 10, and I'm done. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, this is, this is crazy, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to take, he made the animals fast. No person or animal heard of it's to taste anything at all. He said, even the animals ain't eating. This is how serious we are. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and earnestly must call out to God. Which must turn from his evil ways, from his wrongdoings. Who knows? God may actually turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. And guess what? God didn't just see what they thought they should do. God saw their actions. Because genuine faith coincides with genuine actions. Actual change. And what it's highlighting there with the turn, turn, turn is repentance. To repent literally means to change. The word literally means to change your mind. But true repentance involves feelings of regret and remorse. When you're truly sorry for what you've done, not just sorry for the consequences. I repent, God. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. But you don't feel anything. You're not repenting. Repentance literally looks back and says, I was wrong. I can't believe I did that. That was so beneath who God called me to be. 
I'm living beneath God's standards. I shouldn't have talked like that. I shouldn't have behaved that way. I shouldn't have even had those thoughts. I shouldn't have went there. I shouldn't have been there. I shouldn't have done that. God, I am sorry. I made, I'm, God, help me. Help me to actually change. Repentance is doing a 180. It is turning from sin and turning to God. You have not repented if you have not turned. And my fear is that so many Christians, so many people who are Christians by name believe that they are believers, but they've never turned. If you are here today, no condemnation from me, but if you're here today and your life, your behavior, your actions, your thoughts, your mindset, your heart is the same as it was before you got some get out of hell free insurance, you might not be saved. Because genuine repentance can look back at what I've done wrong. It's not saying I'm perfect now, but it's looking back and saying, ah, I know that was beneath God's standards. I know I was sinning against God. I know I shouldn't have been doing that. I know that that was wrong. I know I shouldn't have been living that way. I know I shouldn't be living this way. Now, God, I am sorry. That's genuine repentance because it means that my actions and my attitudes have changed and it's discernible by other people. This is what happens to the Ninevites. The Ninevites demonstrate something that God's own people fail to demonstrate time and time again. They got God's, God's revelation directly. He gave them the Ten Commandments. God forgave them time and time again. He brought them through the Red Sea. And no matter what God did, no matter how many signs he pulled off, they never would change. They would never repent. So much so, Jesus one day is talking to the scribes and Pharisees, and here's what Jesus says. And here's how Jonah, Jesus relates to Jonah. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you, and then we'll believe. If, if God's, if you, God, if you get me out of this one, then I'll trust you. God, if you pay the bill just this one time, I'll trust you. God, if, you're not, if, if this ain't what I think it is, God, whew, I will never do it again. Just give me a sign that you're with me. And here's what Jesus says. And even an adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Verse 41 is why I'm here today. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here and you won't even repent. If the wicked Ninevites could turn and repent at a rebellious, sinful, wicked prophet by the name of Jonah... How much more so should we repent at the mention of the name of the one who got out of the grave? So today, two things. This is an encouragement for you to get back on fire for mission, to tell everybody about what God is doing in your life. 
And secondly, it's about a second chance. If you're here today and you've been living in a way inconsistent with who you claim to be as a believer, you get a second chance. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you get a second chance today to be born again. This is what this is all about. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says this, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God desires that all will be saved. So today, if you're here and you're not in a relationship with the Lord Jesus, no matter how old you are, no matter what your race, your ethnicity, your background, whatever, salvation is offered to you today in Christ Jesus. You, get a, you actually get a second chance today. So no matter what you did last night, last week, last month, last year, no matter how long you did it or who you did it with, today if you will trust in Jesus, repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus, a second chance is waiting for you. Let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.